culture dorkery i am your host phantom troublemaker and before i get any further i want to put over my patreon that's patreon slash phantom troublemaker where you can go to contribute any amount of money you like to help phantom troublemaker do the things that i do and i just crossed from referring to myself in the first person to the third person but i hope you guys can hang with that and if you can go check out that patreon and support what i do uh, you can contribute anywhere from a dollar to a billion dollars, uh, theoretically. And there are plenty of different rewards, everything from original artwork uh, that I will be giving away every month to Needless Things Mystery Boxes, which are boxes full of toys and other goodies from around the Phantom Zone that I will send to you in the mail. And every single cent of this will go towards making the Needless Things podcast better uh, towards the game show that I host at conventions, the Dirty Dirty Con Con Game Game Show show, and uh, really anything else that I'm trying to do, including getting more and different guests on the Needless Things podcast. Now, speaking of different guests, today I have a gentleman named Mick Orton from the band The Silvers. I got hooked up with Mick through our mutual buddy Ricky Zero of Radio Cult, good friends of the show. And uh, he's it, we we had a great time talking. He's a fun guy. He's got some good stories, and uh, it's just a fun conversation about music, about creating music, and about being in a band and and just playing for for years. So it's it's really interesting. We had a fun time, and I think you guys are going to dig it. Something else I think you guys are going to dig is Deadpool. I just watched it again for uh, the second time because it came out on my birthday. That's right, today. As I record this introduction, I am now 40 years old. 40 years young, right? Because that's not stale at all. Uh, Yeah, I'm 40 today. And I've had a pretty nice day. Just hung out with the family. Kept it low-key because that's kind of what I like to do. But yeah, I'm 40. And to celebrate my birthday, they released Deadpool on Blu-ray. I'm just kidding, obviously. That was a pure coincidence. But it was a great coincidence because as soon as we had Phantom Jr. down and asleep, uh, we came out and watched Deadpool, watched some of the special features. And I got to tell you, the gag reel... Uh, it's funny, but if you've watched the gag reels for like the Adam McKay movies for Anchorman and, and uh, Talladega Nights and whatnot, this one just doesn't, I mean, this isn't a comedy movie like that. It's it's hilarious. It is a hilarious movie, but, you know, Ryan Reynolds is awesome. He's one of my favorite actors. I love the guy, but he's no Will Ferrell. Uh, and, and that's just, you know, it's a fun gag reel, but don't go in expecting the uh the improv olympics like you get from Farrell and rudd and all those guys uh but the deleted scenes are actually i i didn't care about those because i feel like the movie th- there's no more that needs to be said but the deleted scenes are actually really interesting uh they show some serious tonal shifts like you can totally see why some of them were cut out because they get really heavy uh they they do i'm not gonna say they add anything to the story but it just shows 
it, it's an interesting look at how this movie developed. And I think that really, I, I'm dying to listen to the commentary, which is why this might be a short intro because I've got it paused right now before I listen to the commentary with Ryan Reynolds and the two writers whose names I can't remember right now. And I'm sorry because they're awesome, but, uh, I'm very excited about that. Uh, the To me, how this movie got made is the most interesting part. How they settled on the tone that they ended up with, all of that stuff I'm very, very interested in. Because this, you know, this had to be a tough sell to Fox. And the finished product, I don't think anybody at Fox probably looked at it and was like, yeah, we've uh, got a real gold mine here. So, which they did. But anyway, very excited about Deadpool. If you've not seen it, I highly recommend it, unless unless you're a little prudish, in which case, maybe not for you. Uh, go see X-Men Apocalypse instead. Don't do that. Seriously, don't. Don't. Early reviews are terrible. But we'll be talking about X-Men in a couple of weeks with Beth and Chad uh, when the movie comes out. So... What else is going on? Seriously, go to the Patreon. Uh, I'll go ahead and put over the Unknown Caller podcast again because I love Corey. He's a great guy, and he's doing a cool thing with the Unknown Caller podcast. Go to soundcloud.com slash unknowncaller and just check it out. I think they've got five episodes up now, and the whole concept of that show is if you have a story that you wouldn't be comfortable having your name attached to or telling in front of your parents or, or your friends or whatever – but you need to get it off your chest, you can call the Unknown Caller podcast and he'll put it up for you. And they're on Tumblr, they're on Facebook, just, you know, Google Unknown Caller podcast. You know how this works. I mean, do we live in a day and age where we really even need to give out URLs anymore? Does that need to happen? Go to Google, go to Bing, go to Yahoo, whatever weird search engine you use. Uh, I don't recommend Pornhub. That's probably not going to work out for you very well. But uh, just put it in and you can find the Unknown Caller podcast. It's great. So, uh, that's really all I've got to talk about this week. I'm excited about the Mick Orton interview because it's, it's a little different. It's something different. Uh, you know, I, I appreciate Ricky hooking me up here because this is a conversation I, I otherwise would not have been able to experience. And it's a really cool one. You guys are going to enjoy it. But before we get to that, I mentioned that today's interview subject, Mick Orton was in a band called The Silvers. It would be wrong of me to do anything but play you a song from the Silver's new album, After the Laughter, available on Gentarine Records. Here is Running Away. Enjoy. Phantomaniacs, I am sitting here and I'm talking across the country to Mr. Mick Orton of the Silvers. Now, 
You may not know Mick Orton, but you do know one of his bandmates, Ricky Zero, who's been on the Needless Things podcast a couple of times now. Ricky's a good friend of the show, and he sent me this disc to check out, uh, the Silver's debut EP, I guess you'd call it, although we're, we're dating ourselves somewhat by using that term, I guess. But uh, very interesting stuff. I want to talk to Mick. We want to talk about Mick's history in music. And uh, Mick, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Uh, how, uh, before we get to talking about the Silvers specifically, because I'm going to assume you, you have a uh, history with music, where does that start? What were the bands that got you going? Although I can, I can guess one. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. Well, uh, early on, and this is where uh, Silvers' Tom Kelly comes in. Early on in high school, Tom and I, worked together in a band called Todd, T-O-D-D, and it was initials from the four members from their first and last names. So it was Tom Orton, which is my last name, uh, and then uh, D was David, and then uh, there was a, another uh, drummer, uh, Dennis Dunlap. So we had all the T-O-D-D, and so we'd drive around with these little... You know, remember those uh, magnetic stickers you'd, you'd have printed up and you'd stick them to the side of your car? Yeah, and yeah. We used to drive around Davenport, Iowa with that on our tra- advertise with our phone number, advertising that we were available to play uh, jobs. Oh, that's great. So that's where we started. Then um, quickly after that, um, we got started rolling. We were playing a few things. We were writing some original stuff. And uh, I got grabbed up by a group uh, called The Contents Are who have had been a recording act in Davenport, and they actually had an album and, I think, two 45s, which made the uh, the local playlist. And so I was really interested in joining a group that was recording, so I joined with them. And I was with them for four or five years, and we recorded at uh, Columbia, or, yeah, Columbia Studios in Chicago. And... Um, Thought we had a, uh, we'd gotten in with the producer, um, that did Chicago. I forget his name now, right? G- Gersio or something like that. And, uh, and, but he was into horns and stuff and we were a, a hard rock band by that time, uh, and the contents are. So we moved to Colorado thinking that the, uh, the environment would help us and it didn't. We actually, well, the guys in the band, <laughs> I used to argue with them. They go, well, we don't want to be commercial. And I go, well, Who's going to buy our stuff then if you're not commercial, right? Yeah. And and uh, so they decided that they were going to go that way. And I got a call from John Ludke in the band Silver Laughter, which was also a Davenport hometown band. And they had uh, started doing a bunch of road work. And they were touring the Midwest, uh, all over the Midwest, you know, Nebraska, Minnesota, Iowa, you know, blah, blah. Anyway, you know the states. And, um, and, uh, about, I don't know, about a year and a half, two years in, we got uh, one of our guitar players left, and we got a really professional guitar player, Ken Wiles, and we started to record music. And um, so we recorded uh, two albums with that group on Fanfare Records, and they're now collector's items. They're going for a bit of money. Not a lot, but... Uh, well, before, and, uh, before we get too much into that, let's talk oh, about it, because you said you're, you're in a band in high school. Yeah. Which is not so even even people that are musically inclined is not necessarily like not every high school kid has the motivation to actually be putting a band together and and advertising like you guys were. Uh, 
what led to that? Like, where where did your where'd your interest in music and performing come from? Like, what did you start off playing? The Beatles, man. The Beatles. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when 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 the Beatles came out, everybody, every boy, pretty much, was in a band. You know, and over time, um, you know that. Uh, they, the the better people stayed in music and the people that really were just playing to just play because it was the hip thing to do dropped out. Right, and right. So, you know, over time, yeah, it was attrition. We just started to uh, – the, the cream rises to the top, I guess you'd say. So the Beatles were the big deal. You know, the British invasion, huge. You know, we used to get uh, – uh, uh, the guys and I would go to um, uh, – the. Uh, the Dick Clark uh, groups would come through, you know, the Dick Clark shows. Mm-hmm. So we saw uh, the Young Rascals, Buffalo Springfield, um, uh, well, just all the you know, all the name Yardbirds, all those guys at that time that were really big. And we were real fortunate to be in an area where we could see them. I was about two feet away from Jimi Hendrix when he performed at the Call Ballroom. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, yeah, my ears are still suffering for it. But, uh, <laughs> So what uh, – at what point, obviously, that you, you were in an era, I, I think possibly more than any other, that inspired young people to, to want to create music, where, where new, exciting things were happening. Uh, I think it was a very uh, – definitely more than, than the, the 80s anyway, <laughs> where, yeah. where it was inspiring rock and roll. And, I agree. And yes, it I felt – probably felt more obtainable – at that point. Well, yeah. I mean, at back when you're a kid, you don't know what your limitations are. And so you don't have any, you know, at least in my opinion, in my opinion, the bands we were in, we thought we were gonna, all going to be big, you know, and and uh, didn't realize how much hard work it would take. How, so, qui- how quickly did you figure out, like, in, in playing, this is a thing I can do? This is, because uh, you said that, you know, the ones that were just kind of sitting in there fell by the wayside but at what point were you like i am a bass player it, it is not just a hobby this is a thing i'm good at and and that i'm pursuing that's a good question i mean i was really interested in music when i was young because i took piano lessons and um so i and for some reason i could put together chord changes in my head i could say oh that's you know if it was in key of c i know it went to c f g a minor e minor f d minor G, C. And I just knew if I heard the song, I could tell you what it was. So I kind of had an aptitude for it to begin with. Then one time, my sister, because I was kind of a nerd in high school, I was, uh, you know, just not very cool. Anyway, maybe I still not. You've come to the right place. (laughs) Anyway, so she says, well, you should get a guitar because, you know, she was really into the Beatles and she's my younger sister. And she kind of, I said, I don't know if I really like these guys, you know? And it's like, so then I started listening to them and I go, I think I could play bass because no, there were no bass players at that time that would that could play and sing. They played bass, you know, or they played guitar and sang, but no bass players sang except for Paul McCartney in the early, you know, from what I remember anyway. Mm-hmm. And so um, I picked, I took my guitar, and I took off two of the top strings and tuned the the bottom four down and started playing bass like that. Oh wow. And, my friend, my friend Ken from Silver Laughter, still makes fun of me for that to this day. <laughs> so that's uh, that's how it started. I started learning Beatles uh, uh, records, you know, bass lines from "Can't Buy Me Love," from "Me to You," uh, you know, all that old stuff. Um, by sixty, 
what, 68, it was already kind of old, you know? Yeah, of, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, what what kind of shit when in being in high school like what kind of gigs were you guys playing I mean at what point you know I'm sure you were kind of doing some parties and stuff but at what point did you end up like did you hit the rock clubs when did that happen Well that's a darn good question um with with the contents are before I joined Silver Laughter we were playing a nightclub in Davenport and we I think we had a steady job because I remember buying a car based on the fact that I actually was making money doing music and I bought a little MG midget right and um uh I was underage and you had to be 21 at those days I don't know what it is now in Iowa to play in clubs or to be in a bar and I was only uh 19 or 20 and but the the guy at the door said you can come in and you can play because he was a cop he says, you can come in, you can play, but if I see a drink and you guys are gone. So, sure. yeah, so they, they let, that's when it started. And we would play uh, a bunch of, uh, nights at this, at this one club, nightclub. And so then moved to Colorado with, with the contents are played a few things. We, we opened for, um, Sugarloaf and we opened for, uh, uh, Lydia Pence in Cold Blood or Cold Blood. I'm sorry. I forget the name of the band, but anyway, it's Lydia Pence. And uh, and we actually had a chance to open for Joe Walsh, but then something happened and it fell through. But by this time, I was kind of getting disillusioned because we weren't making we were playing a lot, but we weren't making any money. Right? So, no, nobody nobody had come calling for the the big album contract or anything yet. Right. And so by by then, when John asked me to join Silver Laughter, and they had a steady road job, that's really when I started to get good as a musician because you play every night four or five hours a night when you're not playing you're rehearsing and it was just it was just a great time to be on the road you know it just was really a lot of fun in the early 70s when we did this and it was from 70 to 79 i think or i'm sorry i joined them in 74 and we went to 79 so about five years with silver laughter does that answer your question sort of it does it does definitely now being being a touring band, being on the road, how did that work for you guys? Like, what? Uh, I I can't imagine just hopping in the van and saying, "Let's go." <laughs> there are a lot of stories that go with this. I've put a lot of them, of my memories, and Glenn, now of the Silvers, was a sound and light man for us uh, back in the Silver Laughter days. Um, uh, wrote a bunch of stories about stuff that had happened on the road on our website, thesilversmusic.com. And uh, basically, it was crazy. You know, we're just nuts. I mean, it's pretty complicated to try to explain how we did it. But basically, there, there were since there were five of us, because we took our road man as a, as a fifth member of the group, he got an equal share. So he did Sound and Lights, and then we did, you know, four musicians. Well, we used to say three musicians and a drummer, but that's not really nice <laughs> and so um so we would you know since there were five of us we would buy three rooms and so two guys would share in each of the two rooms and then then we would alternate you know the one guy would get the room by himself so they could pick up girls or whatever you know and and just have some privacy so that's kind of what we did a rotating thing like that we ate all our meals uh the, the part of the deal with the sound and light man was he had to be our cook too 
which might have been a good or bad thing. It might be a problem with my cholesterol these days, but you know, uh, back then it didn't matter. We were young. We're going to live forever, right? Uh, yeah, I know that. I know that feeling, and yeah. I know when that feeling goes away <laughs> very yeah. well. Yeah, and then sometimes you know the clubs would would uh, give us meals. Uh, they give us lodging, and we actually made a trip through Canada in '77. I think it was 1977. We made a tour. Um, we were up there for two months, uh, touring. I wouldn't say touring because we played nightclubs mm-hmm. up there. Up there, they were either cabaret where you could dance, or they were um, what was the other thing they called them? Um, but they were you just drank. You could sit and drink. You couldn't get up. Really weird rules in Canada. We didn't, <laughs> we didn't we didn't understand them. So our first place was a bunch of British soldiers who every one of them knew the Beatles personally, right? You know, sure, so, sure. Yeah, you met four hundred guys and all of them were friends with the Beatles. Of course. You know? so, yeah. Hey, mate. <laughs> you know, so uh, I, I bet that worked for them too. <laughs> they loved our Beatles tribute. We had an hour, uh, two one-hour Beatle tributes that we did, uh, a medley of of songs. With films and slides going on each side of the stage while we did the music. We didn't wear Sgt. Pepper uniforms or anything like that. <laughs> well, but, I mean, that's the thing is if, if you've got that in your repertoire, I mean, as you said, uh, you, you got to make money. you got to appeal to people. You, you've got to have a, a hook. And if you've got that in your repertoire, you know, people are hungry for that stuff. I mean, any bands, whether they're, they're modern uh like, you know, Beatles being, as you said, already at that time had been around a while, but were still one of the hottest acts in the world. And, and people are hungry to hear that stuff live. Like even, I, I will never underestimate the value of, of covers. <laughs> well, it saved us during the disco era because we had a, we had a trick. While other bands were losing their jobs, you know, we had something that was different than most of the groups. We didn't think about it at the time, but we had this, you know, our Beatle tribute that we do every night and which enabled us to get into the clubs, even discos. We were able to get in and, and play live music. Uh, well, a lot of bands were losing, you know, left and right breaking up. Yeah. What, what kind of impact did that have on, on the live music scene? Cause disco, I, you know, I don't think the era was looking back on it. I, I don't think it was maybe quite as, as long and, and pervasive as is often represented. But when that stuff got hot, it definitely killed rock to a certain extent. Yes. So there was still a demand though for, for, for Beatles stuff for what you guys were doing. Well, I would say more it was the the novelty rather than that it was just the Beatles because okay. you might have come in might have come in with a Jackson Five act. I don't know, but bottom line is is that you know the yeah it seemed like forever. It was like once once Saturday Night Fever came out, all the club owners were dropping bands and putting in these expensive one time expense for a big sound system. Oh right, yeah, that's interesting. You know, it was economical too. Oh yeah, yeah, and they would still, you know, pack the house with yeah. dancers, and, you know, so it was it was a big deal to be able to stay and I I I, you know, thank that Beatles tribute giving us the chance to do that and still play and still record because, you know, we took our earnings from these different jobs, put them into a a, a fund if you will, and, and uh, our manager uh, took care of that for us, and then we put us in the studio. So we were able to record two albums, which a lot of bands weren't able to do at that time. Oh, and it was smart to have that restraint because I, you know, I, 
I would imagine a lot of bands, uh, there are probably tons and tons of stories of bands that go on the road and just whatever money they make is going right back out. Well, I can't say that uh, we didn't overspend on that. I don't know. Uh, Art's, Art's still talking to me, our manager, Art, so I don't know if he went that far in debt. But um, I think we probably spent more than we brought in in that those eras because we spent a lot of time in the studio on that second album. The, the one sailing on fantasies. But just to have the, just to have the foresight to sock away anything in preparation to record <laughs> and, and, you know, by recording, uh, sort of extending what you're able to do in, in your name, building the franchise as it were. Yeah. Well, you're giving us more credit than we probably deserve, but thank that's you. What, that's what I do. I, I, <laughs> I like to build people up here. Um, <laughs> you make us look good. Right? <laughs> so, so you're touring, you're surviving the changing music scene. Uh, and we come into the, the disco era, which probably realistically was maybe a couple of years. Yeah, probably. Uh, you it's, weather it's, that. It seemed longer than that. Uh, yes, it, and I've, I've, believe me, I, you, listening to people talk about it, it does seem like an eternity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the novelty wore off pretty quickly, though, if I remember right. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you can only learn so many dances, you know, these people, but. Right. How many, how many different ways can you do the hustle? Right. Exactly. One. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, so that brings us to what? The end of 79 when the, the band Silver Laughter broke up, right? Yes. And Ken and I, uh, the lead guitarist, Ken and I, uh, ended the, uh, Silver Laughter area with, with, uh, well, I did. I ended it with a fist fight with, with a rhythm guitar player in a parking lot on oh, one of the no. last jobs that we played. Yeah. You know, I say fist fight, which probably is more of a slapping fight. You sure, know, sure. You know, we're <laughs> not tough guys or anything like that, right? So, uh, oh, you pinched me. But anyway, um, so, so, yeah, he and I jumped in the van. You know, we split the equipment, kind of fighting over who's going to get the mic stands, who's not, you know, it's just dividing equipment. It was like, you know, a sinking ship and uh real bad scene. We jump in the van and drive out and and we go decide, well, what are we going to do? You know, so Ken and I said, well, let's start doing a duo because we had met a, a couple from um well, somewhere down south uh that that was called two of us, and it was Dodie and Dodie and Jack, and they uh, kind of coached us and got us in with their manager, and booked Ken and I as a duo for a little while. So here we are, the Nurk twins. We're playing around, doing you know. He's like we we're, we were going to call ourselves Mutt and Jeff because he's really tall, and I'm what five eight or whatever. But I made made him look really tall, and uh. uh we decided on the name Double Shot, which had a really uh, good meaning because we were shot from touring that much with Silver <laughs> Laughter. So there was two of us. We were Double Shot. We were drinking a lot and uh, played in the Midwest, kind of went to some new places, Michigan and whatever, that, that Silver Laughter hadn't gone. But it wasn't going well because every time we would learn some material – they would put us the manager would put us in a new club with different kind of music so we ended up in uh thunder bay ontario and they wanted country western we, we're not a country western band we're a rock band you know we were a rock duo basically you know and um it was just brutal so we we've learned some johnny cash and we learned some everly brothers and we learned some stuff to just kind of appease the crowd 
And the next place we went to was on a disco. It was like, ah, oh, you know. So finally, at uh, I think we were in Escanaba, Michigan, and we decided to pack it in, um, Ken and I, as a duo, and moved to color, uh, moved to California for warmer weather. Now, had you guys in your your years of touring, uh, were there certain bands that? Kind of ran in the same circles. Like, you, you, did you get to be road buddies with anybody, or was it more of a uh, just running your own gig type of thing? Like, did you encounter people? Oh, look, you're you're coming back the other way from where we're headed. That kind of deal. Well, to our mind, we were we were the band because every place we played, we were the most popular band um, in these little towns that we played. Um, so we were the group to follow, basically. But I, I don't remember ever being friends with anybody. But I do remember meeting Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick at a. We were stopped for Chinese food in Pekin, Illinois, where they live, and or where he lived anyway. And and uh, some guy comes, some really goofy looking guy comes walking in. You guys are in a band? You guys in a band? Yeah, okay. Come on, show me your equipment. So John went out, showed him the, you know, and he said, "I can name every guitar just by looking at the case." So he proceeded to name you know i was like okay all right you know and he gave him a signed autograph picture and their album had had not come out yet and a couple weeks later we're somewhere and the album comes out and all of a sudden they're stars i was like god why didn't we hook up with this guy when we met him right <laughs> or at least invite him in for chinese food you know? sure like, sure yeah, oh that's great so so yeah and then their album came out and so then we started doing some cheap trick covers at the end yeah, but you that can't was, go wrong with cheap trip covers. Yeah, so that was with Silver Laughter. I'm kind of backtracking a little bit. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. We'll jump. So over. Ken and I moved to moved to California in about 1980, and we we uh, tried to get some playing time, but we just we wrote a lot of songs in that time, and a lot of them are showing up on our album after the laughter, which you didn't mention when in the introduction. That was just released March uh, 15th on uh Gentron Records and it's a fourteen song uh album. So if anybody's interested in hearing about that, we can talk about that in a little while. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but before we do, let's just to be sure we hit it, where can we get it? Uh from is there a website to order from? Yeah, uh Gentron let me get the URL. It's Gentron well I go to Gentron dot com and then there's a menu at the top. Okay. But, but Ricky who we have yet not yet talked about says there's a better way to get there, but I can't find it. Yeah, I'm just uh, gentrinrecords.com is what I'm looking at right here. Okay, so. all right, makes sense. So anyway, so a bunch of those songs that Ken and I wrote during that period uh, show up on this album, and uh, it was kind of a bleak time because when we moved here, we didn't have any prospects and we didn't really have a job, and uh, we were st- staying with my sister out in Point Reyes Station in a converted garage uh, that was converted into a studio. And she slept upstairs with her friend, and we were downstairs on the floor in sleeping bags. No heat. You know, there was a wood-burning fireplace. And uh, anyway. Was that your motivation for going there is just you knew you'd have a place to stay? I think so, yeah. Back, looking back, I'm not sure I put too much thought into it. I thought, you know, in my mind – I didn't talk to my sister that much back then because we were on the road all the time. And, and I didn't realize – I thought California, you know, and I'm thinking Beach Boys, sun, surf, you know, sure, all that sure. stuff. You get to Northern California, fog, cold, <laughs> rain, you know. 
So we got here, and I think it started raining. I mean, we drove over the border into California. It was 65 degrees and sunny, and we're going, yeah, all right. And then a couple of days later, it started raining. It didn't stop raining for about two months. It was just miserable. Nobody sang about this. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> Where is the two months of rain song from the Beach Boys? Yeah, we didn't realize that we were so far north that it was, you know, a temperate zone, as they say, Monty Python. You know it. <laughs> It doesn't grow coconuts. We're a temperate zone. Anyway, so as as the unladen swallow flies, uh, yes, exactly. You were you were uh, in Northern California regrouping. We'll say regrouping. Yeah. Okay, you can say that <laughs> because it took quite a few years to regroup. Um, I tried to play in a, a new wave band um, called The Secrets, and we played some jobs. Didn't make any money. Uh, did a few originals. Um, it was a lot of fun, but it just wasn't any money, and uh, so I had to get a real job and uh, ended up in IT doing uh, technical services work eventually. took a while to get there, but took a computer course, you know, learned some stuff, and actually was pretty successful at that for a while. H- having been in a uh, touring band and, again, got to make money, what what is your balance? What do you find the proper balance to be between uh, crowd pleasers and original stuff, and attempting to make original stuff that pleases the crowd, which is kind of the tricky thing, I think. Well, to be honest, I haven't played um, in front of people for a while. I did some some jobs with my sister, all original music. They're really open to original music up here because there's a lot of. Uh, famous people that live up here, Carlos Santana, uh, uh, Jesse Colin Young, um, I could name uh, Dave Crosby used, used to live here. Um, uh, what's his name from All- the Allman Brothers, Greg Allman, um, just a whole bunch of people. So they're open to hearing original stuff, but the opportunity to play just isn't so much there. And I don't have a band. I didn't have a band, and I, you know, there was nowhere for me to perform so we just sat and wrote music. So with with uh, that being the case, how in the world do you come across Ricky Zero? <laughs> how does uh, that happen? It's it's a great story, really. It really, I mean, to me, you know, I heard. Uh, but okay, so so I decided. Okay, 2014 Silver Laughter was inducted into the Iowa Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, for our contribution to music in, you know, two albums, you know, playing all across Iowa and stuff. And they wanted to put us in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So we did a reunion tour, a reunion tour, a reunion concert, a uh, 20-minute concert with Beatles stuff in the beginning, a bunch of original stuff in the middle, and then we ended with, uh, ended with Revolution, you know, by the Beatles. Mm-hmm. And got a huge response and i was so jazzed after doing that i said to the guys we should get together and record a third album and yes the silence it was like hello anybody there we should get together and record another album and they're looking at you like oh mick this was fun but uh thanks but no thanks and so so you know i went home and um but oh but in the audience tom kelly guy I talked about from Todd Beat Group showed up from Wisconsin to hear us and we started talking and we said, you know, we could probably record long distance because he lives in Wisconsin. I live in California. We can probably trade 
uh, trade, you know, wave files over the internet. Sure, it's, sure. It's, you know, like, you know, we didn't realize how hard that was going to be as we'll tell you later. But oh, anyway. yeah, yeah. I do want to hear about that because, uh, there are yeah. a number of artists that I'm, I'm a fan of that, uh, just by necessity have recorded things that way. And it seems to me like it would be a nightmare. So I'm, I'm very interested to hear about that. Well, thanks to the Beatles. Well, let's, let's, yeah, but that, thanks to the Beatles, they you know they were able to go into the studio one at a time and record separate tracks. So I thought, well, how much different is that than recording a separate track? I'm just not in not in the same room, and I'm not in the same state, you know. Uh, so anyway, so um, that got my juices going. I came home, we, we talked to Tom. Yeah, we'll do it. Um, and you know, I don't know. I don't believe in coincidences. I kind of think that there are. Uh, things that happen for a reason. Sure. And so all of a sudden in my email inbox, there's a, uh, uh, an email from Ricky Zero saying how he found our group. He was trying to search to figure out what day, I don't know if it was 1975, what year it was, but what day of the week this certain date was. And on my website for the Silver Laughter, I had posted a, what's called a booking calendar, and it had the little calendar with all the places that we played. And each month I would you know, post a new month. So here's what we did in January. Here's what we did in February. So he was looking for a specific date, and one of those showed up. And so he wanted to find out, well, Saturday on, you know, in May of what, what, what was the – in 75, what was the – Day of the week that was. This does not surprise me at all because that guy is such a research monster. Yeah. Well, I didn't know if you understood what I was, what I was getting at. But anyway, so he, and he says, once I found out it was hooked to a band website, I was hooked. He said, I, you know, I could, I read through all the stuff. I was reading about it. Yeah. Yeah. Just get in touch. And so, so just I, random Google search trying to find something out and the information happens to be on the page that you've put up. A band and a band that right. he really liked the music and a band that he was, you know, that happened to be looking for somebody else to join the band, right? So, um, so we talked back and forth and he actually had had some experience doing long distance recording, which helped a lot in the end. I didn't realize at the time how big a hurdle that was going to be. Um, but anyway, so he, said yeah let's let's do it i'll do it and he said i'm in a bunch of other bands anyway this will be fun so we decided to record that first single that you have in your hand the um running away nothing really matters and he picked those two songs from the roughly 10 or 12 that i had in my hip pocket from ken and ken and my days together of writing music, and uh, he picked those two as being the most probably commercial or whatever. He really liked them, mm. and uh, then we set about recording them. We didn't have a drummer yet, so a studio drummer, uh, Rick Baker, um, uh, works with Kevin who, Jarvis, who is in South Carolina, just to add another <laughs> geographical location to this mix. Sure, right? why not? Okay, so we've got me in California. Tom guitarist is in uh, uh, Wisconsin. Uh, did I say that? Yes, Wisconsin. Ricky's in Atlanta, and then Kevin, the guy that's going to mix it, and the drummer are in South Carolina. So that wasn't confusing enough. Um, I put together a demo about the, with with the songs about the speed that I wanted. I have a little drum machine called Ringo, and I record a drum part, bass part, guitar part, sing vocals. 
so that the guys will get an idea of what the speed is, what key it's in, and kind of what the feel I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. I send it to them. They record against that. So we we learned, we didn't do this at first, but we learned that the drummer needs to lay his part down first. Everything else follows. So, because otherwise everything sounds like everybody's playing in a different room to a different, you know. <laughs> it sounds like everybody's playing in a different state and sending it to each other. Well, yeah, kind of <laughs> like that. Yeah, but, <laughs> but I mean, be on the same song, but you know, like I couldn't, you know, I didn't play against the drums right, like I right. usually do with the bass. We didn't coordinate anything, and so yeah. um, we realized early on that that wasn't going to work. So he drummer records his part. And, and <clears throat> excuse me, and then uh, we start laying down uh, bass, vocals, guitars, and that, and send them back and forth until we get what we want. And uh, that's kind of how it started. So, what is your? Is at this point just I want to make music and get it out there? Well, that's kind of how it started. It was just kind of a hobby. <clears throat> um, the fact that these songs I thought were good enough that they should have been recorded and they never were. So we did that with those two songs and we decided, okay, let's do an album. I've got with Ricky and I, uh, and with Ken's help, you know, from the old days, um, we had 14 songs. And so we decided, well, let's do an album, you know, cause the British albums are all 14 songs. At least they were. I don't know if they still are or not, but the Beatles, Parlophone records all had 14. So we followed, we wanted to model the best. Why not? Sure. So, so we did those 14 songs and, um, that's the album that was released in March of, of this year. And, uh, since then we've gotten more aggressive with what we want to do. So we said, that was fun. Let's do it again. So what we're shooting for is a end of summer EP with six new songs. And an album in March, which would be a year after the first one was released, of 2017, with another 14 songs. So I've been writing like crazy. Oh, that's great, man. Yeah, it's a lot, been a lot of fun. Okay, so, so we decided to do the EP. You know, our album's out, and everybody's, you know, trying to get us to talk about that, and we're already talking about the next thing, right? Because, you know, musicians get bored pretty quickly. Well, that's great, though, because it, it, it sounds like, Actually, getting the album done kind of lit the fire a little bit. I think so. Yeah. So we we you know we have another six songs ready for this. Oh, I didn't tell you about the Christmas song that we did last Christmas. So in December, <laughs> it was right and uh, middle of November probably. Mm-hmm. Ricky goes, you know, I was thinking we should do a Christmas song and then do a, a Christmas uh, message from the guys, kind of like the Beatles did. Right. I'm going. You know, I was just thinking that a couple of days ago that we should probably do, you know, great minds think alike or twisted minds think alike. Anyway, <laughs> so we recorded, uh, a, quickly put together a song called, um, What Are You Christmas? It's I, kind of a. I know it well because I actually, Ricky sent it to me and I put it on the Christmas episode of the podcast. Oh, okay. All right. So, great. so our listeners have heard it. Oh, well, it was a lot of fun to do and we did it really fast, which is the way, you know, not very painful to do it that way because, you know, we, we'd learned a lot of things with doing the album and, you know, laying down the song. So we did that. And this, this next November, we will be doing another Christmas free release, you know, to promote our albums and and website. 
So, so I'm kind of getting off the track here. So no, that's that's fine ask though. Me, ask me something. Uh, well, with the recording really starting to click now, because it sounds like once you guys got past the sort of initial uh, growing pains of figuring out how to how to do the cross state recording, uh, it, it turned into a pretty smooth process. Oh yeah. Well, I didn't talk about Glenn yet, so I guess I should have. He came in. Right after we recorded the single, we brought Glenn on to play drums, and he was just getting set up, and so he was new to recording. He'd been a sound and light man, but he, you know, so he knew sounds. But we had some problems getting his um, drums to sound right because he'd never recorded before that, and so right, right. yeah, so it took a while to get him going. So Rick, uh, Rick Walker played on a bunch of songs on the. LP as well, but but um, Glenn did contribute uh, quite a few songs on that one too. But he'll be the only drummer on the End of Summer EP. So Glenn lives on the other side of Wisconsin, and up until a couple months ago, Glenn and uh, Tom had never met, even though they lived in the same state, but they lived on opposite sides of the state. Sure, sure. So Tom is also playing in a group called The Executives, which is a 60s cover band. So they do all kinds of 60s music, and they perform quite a bit for different charities and things. And Glenn surprised him and showed up one night and introduced himself. And so they've been buddies ever since, right? that's cool. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And uh, buddies for life, I think, you know. Um, (laughs) I don't know if you watch Caddyshack or not. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Nice uh, hat. Did it come with the soup? (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those people that are listening know what are these guys talking about. You know? But uh, yeah, smells. Anyway, um, so let's see. So yeah, we're planning a lot of music. We're writing a lot of music. Uh, Ricky's doing a lot of work with his band, Radio Cult, the Possum King Ramblers, and I don't know how many other groups he's in. But, he's uh, he actually uh, the first time I wasn't able to go because I had to work. But uh, perform live for the first time. I don't know if it's a Ramones tribute band or if they just do some Ramones songs. Oh, I saw those on Facebook. Yes, yeah. With uh, Ricky, unsurprisingly, looking like he's channeling Joey Ramone. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank thank God for Bambi. You know, if it wasn't for Bambi, none of this stuff would have got posted. Probably. <laughs> yes, she no. she is definitely on her yeah. her social media and, and her design game because she did. Oh. Uh, yeah, she did the uh, the cover for the single, which I love. It, it looks perfect. Uh, so so far, she's done all the artwork for advertising and uh, album cover and inside sleeve uh, and and the single. And um, yeah, she's been great. She's she's, just, she's got a good a good feel for for uh, all kinds of different styles of things. Yep, I agree. So now that you've got the recording. You know what you're doing. You've got it down. You've you've got product. Right. Do you have any itch to to play live? I mean, is that I, I a tour would probably be a little difficult, but well, it, we we did talk about that. Um, while we're talking about it, since we couldn't get together, you know, we we did two animated videos, kind of in the flavor of the the old Beatles cartoons. Yeah. Uh, without the story, of course. I mean, the story is in the music, so it kind of goes. The the animated uh, videos go along with kind of the lyrics of the song, mm-hmm. but we don't do any talking back and forth. Hey, Ringo, you know. <laughs> you know? 
Um, so th- that's kind of fun. Those are up on uh, YouTube now. It's called one's called Running Away, of course, the first single, and the second one was called No More. This time I mean it. Um, and uh, it's takes takes place at a uh, fairgrounds, and it's pretty cute little story. I think Ricky did the the storyboard for it, and then uh, Randy Bishop did the artwork for it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've uh, we've gotten to see him. He hasn't been on the show yet, but uh, he he's played several times with the Possum Kingdom Ramblers. And oh okay, and, yeah. uh, we'll we'll put over his Hawk of New York uh, comic book as well. Oh okay, all right. Well, maybe yeah, this Randy's story- a great guy. Maybe the Silvers will have a comic book one of these days, but right now we're focusing on the music. Absolutely. So your question was about playing live. Yeah, there, I mean, there's got to be because as wonderful as it is to create, you know, anything artistically, I think nothing equals that live crowd response. It is pretty intoxicating. Um, here, if we played here. Um, you know, if the guys came out here and played, we could play. We couldn't make any money. <laughs> right, you know, right. It's kind of that kind of deal. Either you get booked with a group, you know, as a front group for a big band, or you play these little clubs around. And there's a few nice little clubs, like Sweetwater down the, down in Mill Valley and where some of the pros play. But, um, you know, usually it's past the hat kind of thing. You know, you put a thing on the stage and you toss money in. So sure, sure. It, you know, unless we actually get picked up by a label, I don't know that we would ever be able to afford to play together, you know, because everybody's so spread out. It's just kind of, you know, it's just kind of. Right. It's not like you can just hop in the car together and, and you know, head out to the club. Right. Or the van like we used to have, the van where right. four, four of us would be packed in the van with the equipment in the back in a trailer. Um, yeah. It's just those days are kind of gone for now. Yeah, now, yeah. What I didn't mention so far was that recently we got connected with, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the name Stuart Epps, but he's a, a producer in Great Britain who's worked with Elton John, uh, Twisted Sister, George Harrison, a bunch of really big name acts, has a bunch of gold records, maybe some platinum records, I don't know, but uh, he's going to produce the Imp Summer EP. Oh, wow. Six song. Yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty exciting for us because, like, we were just going to do it just to do it. And then all of a sudden we got this offer to, you know, from him to uh, help us. So we said, okay, you know, because that's all he does now is uh, unsigned artists. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. He develops new talent. That's it. That's somebody who loves what they're doing right there. Exactly. He does get paid a little bit to do it, but, you know, that's that's kind of set aside for the budget, right? Sure, sure, absolutely. <laughs> well, cool, man. It sounds like you've 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 got a plan, you're you're on the right track and you're making some awesome music. We are trying to our best and we hope people enjoy what we're doing cuz we do and uh you know, there's enough Beatle fans out there that would really probably like what we're doing, to be honest with you. Oh, absolutely. Um yeah, I've I've put it up on Twitter, so hopefully some some people will start to find us and uh, who knows? You know, we just keep keep our fingers crossed. Just keep doing what we're doing. Oh, as a matter of fact, uh, next month, let's see, it's in two months, uh, Shindig. You remember the old Shindig magazine? Oh, yeah, yeah. They're still around. They're published out of London. They're going to, they're going to review our uh, album. They, I just got an email from them this morning saying they're going to review the album and so we're going to run an ad in that same issue telling people where to find our music. 
Oh, hopefully, beautiful. Hopefully they'll write a good ad, right? I mean, a good in, uh, review. Good review, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These guys suck. Go buy their stuff. I, but you know what? There's no such thing as bad press. <laughs> Yeah, well, it, it's you know I think they'll like it's it's very Beatles flavored and Beatles you know '60s influence. Uh, Stuart, when he heard our EP songs, the demos, he says well, this kind of sound like the Beach Boys. I'm going, oh really? I've never heard that before. So well, anyway, interesting. Well, it has it's got an appealing sound. It's uh, I I don't use the word uh, pleasant. To mean anything but pleasant. I, I really enjoy kicking back and listening. I loved the Christmas song. Like, no. R- Ricky was right to send me that first because I'm, I'm a big Christmas guy. Oh, good. And I, I have a massive collection of Christmas music and I'm always delighted to get something I've, I've never heard before. So you, you, you got started on the right foot there, but then it's just, it's, it's fun stuff. I, I like listening to it. I like putting it in, in the car and it's, it's just, it's really, I thoroughly enjoy it. Well, I'll have to get you an album. You didn't mention that you had one. So no, I no, I, I haven't got one yet, and it's probably Uh-oh. because it did just come out, and we've we've kind of been trying to set this interview up for a little while now. As a matter of fact, I think when Ricky first mentioned it, the album wasn't out yet. So, yeah, yeah definitely. Well, I, I definitely am looking forward to hearing it. All right. Yeah, we'll have to make sure we get you one because uh, we did have – it was <laughs> we had a few snafus with that one too. It was getting it out, you know, eventually – usually Ricky submits it online with the artwork and the, and the masters, right? Mm-hmm. And it, they wouldn't, it wouldn't take it for some reason. So we had to actually mail it, you know, snail mail. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were lucky it got there and it did get produced, but it was about 10 days late, so – well, man, I'm glad everything is working out. I dig the music. Uh, thanks for coming on the show and talking about what, what you've done and what you're doing. And we'll put over, before we go, the silversmusic.com, where not only can we find the albums, but you guys keep a, a pretty good history of what you've done musically. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> And then uh, also, of course, GenterinRecords.com, which is G-E-N-T-E-R-I-N-E Records.com, where you can find not only the Silvers, uh, but everything else that they've got their hands in. And Mick, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks uh, Thanks for thinking of us. You know, I feel like I could have pried some more rock and roll stories out of him, but it seemed like Mick... Uh, wanted to keep a few things under his hat, close to the, to the vest, uh, whatever you want to say. But it was still, we had a lot of fun talking. We got got to uh, experience some of his memories of being a, a rocker for for several decades. That's not something I, I somebody I get to talk to all that often. And I want to thank Ricky Zero for hooking that up, and uh, urge you guys to go check out GenterinRecords.com. That's G-E-N-T-E-R-I-N-E records.com check out the silversmusic.com and of course check out Radio Call just google Radio Call and you'll find all their stuff that you need to know about Ricky and Bambi are awesome and we owe a lot of you know some opportunity to them. we've had a lot of fun playing around with those guys and I need to get together with them again soon also patreon.com slash phantom troublemaker if you want to support me if you want to support the show uh and, and you're not supporting me you're not like paying my mortgage or my uh 
for, for a toy habit or something. You're helping me pursue the creative things that I want to pursue. So go check out patreon.com slash phantom troublemaker and just check out the rewards, see how much you feel comfortable donating, or at the very least, just spread the word. Share the show, share needlessthingspsych.com, share the Patreon, tell your friends about it, tell your rich friends about it. Do you have rich friends? Uh, I'm sure they would want to hand some money over to a guy in a purple mask that wants to host game shows and uh, wrestling events and whatever else. So do that. I'd appreciate it. And stay tuned. Next week, me and Mike Gordon will be talking about DC Comics Rebirth. Love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Needless Things Podcast. You're the best. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, or in the ears of a Trade of Vix employee. And of course, it's at needlessthingssite.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh-huh. <laughs>